I got top top. Top top two poker podcast. Oh, you said top top. I said top. I got top two and a half, five, seven and a half, ten, twelve and a half, fifteen, seven and a half, twenty, twenty two and a half, twenty five, twenty seven and a half, thirty three, two and a half, thirty five, three and a half, forty, forty two and a half, forty five, three and a half. All right, movies aside, don't spoil Star Wars for me because I'm going Christmas Day. Don't spoil. Darth Vader is really your favorite. Stop it, dude. Stop it. It comes out. No, no. I'm going to disconnect you. There's a button where I can kick you out of Zencast right now. Don't make me do it. Well, I mean, it doesn't ruin the movie. It's like right away they show that Darth Vader has always been a female and you just don't know that. (laughs) And and now you do. Uh, well, one big thing for you to know is Yoda isn't in it, so. Let's change it, change the subject to something more embarrassing about you. Um, so I lost a bet that you got a full body wax. I didn't think it was possible. I thought that your manhood would be held in higher regard than a full body wax, and here I am. You made a fool of me. And yourself, ironically. Manhood is still barely intact. I mean, it was quite painful. But it's it's weird. Everything, like, sensation is different now. Um, yeah, yeah, you just run your uh, hands up and down your body. Oh. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's why you should never get a full body wax if that's what you think you would do with it. See, this type of power is not, not meant for mortals <laughs> like yourself. Um, uh, great power comes great responsibility. Oh, boy, does it. And two and a half hours later, that was, that was <laughs> interesting. Let's catch um, up, uh, poker related. What's what's going on with you? Not a lot. I'm pretty much on ice. I mean, I played one one session of eight sixteen, and it it reminded me how painful uh, poker can be sometimes. It's pretty pretty wretched. I mean, I think I I literally played about three hours, uh, and maybe won the blind once and won like one or two pots. Pretty hard game when you can't flop a pair. <laughs> yep, I can attest to that. When um, you can't make the best hand and they never fold, it's hard to win. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those unique, uh, unique torturous things. How limit hold'em is like really, really, really frustrating when you're running bad. I, I don't know if that's more so than no limit, but uh, it's like in no limit. I mean, you can have one or two big pots will change your day. But a limit is just like that slow bleed, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we got Bike King in chat. A man, we're gonna get hey. your email here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, we got a uh, little bit of a mailbag. I think we're gonna get to today, and then Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy holidays, right? Yes, indeed. Our... Should probably be our last. Definitely be our last podcast before Christmas. Oh, certainly, last podcast of twenty sixteen too. Yep. Um. Are you are you playing much around the holidays, Chase? What's your schedule like for everyone out there? Are you gonna uh, my mom's playing? coming. Mom's coming for uh, four days, three four days until uh, like the twenty second through the twenty sixth. So I'm pretty much just planning on taking those days off. Um, we talked about maybe swinging by National Harbor, just like be touristy stuff, and I don't think I'll even play. Mm. Um, I do like I think I will play. After that, like from 27 through the end of the year, possibly even on New Year's, because I don't know, New Year's kind of up in the air, casino wise. Like, a lot of people are out and about, casinos are pretty active, but I don't know if people are just going to be shoveling money into poker games either. Oh, 
New Year's is like in Vegas was one of the busiest, you know, singular individual days of the year. It's pretty, pretty ridiculous. But I mean, I know Vegas is a slightly separate animal because where you're at and where I'm at, it's uh, semi-local, semi-tourist draw. But uh, yeah, and then you have to deal with all the mess of the crowds and driving and all that on New Year's. Yeah. Kind of. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'll just keep my normal grind. Probably play on Twitch on Sundays here and there. Although I guess uh, Christmas is on Sunday, so I'll miss that one. Yeah. Do you, uh, you and Tara have any like cool traditions? Do you guys put up a tree? Oh yeah, uh, we uh, our tradition is to put up the tree on. So she likes to put up the tree as early as possible. So like November first, she likes to put up the tree. I oh, like to put up God. the tree after Thanksgiving. So we settled on a compromise. Her birthday is November 15th. And as one of her birthday presents, we put up the tree. And it's like a whole ordeal activity that we do on her birthday. So that's kind of fun. We also have a tradition of creating creating Christmas ornaments. Just like from go to the craft store and you get like a glass uh, Christmas ornament globe. And then, you know, like some decals and some little markers and stuff. So we usually do that as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. How about you yeah, and Grace? You guys have any? Uh, nothing yet. I mean, I think it's mainly just family related because she's got a lot of family in the SoCal area. So they'll be they'll be getting together. So we'll do some stuff with them probably. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Just eat a lot <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. Well, you two aren't so, I mean, married yet. So once you get married, you can really settle into your own stuff and making your own traditions and family stuff of course yeah i mean it's amazing that it's like literally today's the 20th it's one month away i know it man oh my gosh it's like it's coming soon i mean it's gonna feel good when uh when we're to the wedding day because there's just so many like loose ends that will be all tied up and finally be done so it'll be It'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. You looking forward to flying out here? Yeah, I am. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good wedding. Well, you have the best uh, best man that you could ask for. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're covered, man. Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> oh, now, I, this is recorded, so I'm going to hold you to that. So rem- remember <laughs> that. Remember that. Uh, but, yeah, I think everything will be all right. Like, I'm, I'm now a little bit less... Less worried about it than I was like maybe a month or two ago. Because it's kind of like at this point, everything that is done is done. Everything that's not, you know, just a few things on your plate to, to finish up. But we'll do what we can. Yeah. Um, Shout out uh, Digital Pimp in chat, McLovin. McLovin on the bankroll management. Yeah. He says, you practice it, mister. Just keep firing until my account's empty. <laughs> Some <laughs> solid bankroll management. That's what yeah. last Sunday felt like. Do you uh do you want to get it here really quick? Let's go over what's been going on with you poker wise. So live with your hundred K challenge, you've been doing pretty good online, pretty salty. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Uh, online, I've been running terrible online, man. Last month, I think I'm. I don't know. I've gone like uh, probably twelve K downswing or something like that. It's just been catapulting into the ground. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a bummer. You're like the um, min cash king online, right? Right now. Yeah, I can't. I can't break through the min cash streets. 
Which is sure. ironic because I usually am the opposite way. I, I don't min cash and then I ship something, but just haven't been really, really able to get any deep runs uh, closing out. So, been a bummer. And yeah, then I saw been your running like 5k cage. Yeah, been running pretty salty in the big buying stuff, like the 5k buying cage, uh, aces against queens for, I don't know, 7k and change. And that's essentially a cash game, so 7k swing right there. Um, so, I mean, it, when you have a 5k buy in there, the like 12k downswing doesn't sound that bad, but we're, uh, we're not running too good. Might even be more than that after last Sunday. Might be more like 15. I don't know. But I've, been, I've had a, I've been having a good year. Live has been good. 100k challenge is alive and well. The only thing difficult there is originally the 100k challenge was I got a safe deposit box at the casino I played at, and I put ten thousand dollars in trying to run it up to a hundred thousand. Well, now another casino opened up nearby, and I've been playing at that other casino a little more often. So the like whole idea of the hundred K challenge getting a hundred K in my safe deposit box, it's like now I have two safe deposit boxes, and I don't know. Logistically, it's kind of up in the air, but I've been winning money. That's what is really important. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I- if that's the worst of your problems in life, boy, man, tough life. Um, so what do you want me to spoil for you now that we're on stream about the new Star Wars movie? Dude, don't Everything? spoil any Star Wars stuff. And anyone in All chat, right. you're going to get insta-banned. Mods, RB Jork, I see you out there with your moderator sword. You just slap them with the ban if they go Star I can't, Wars. I can't believe you haven't seen the new Star Wars movie out. I can't believe it took me three days to see it, but I was able to see it with my uh, fiance, and it was... It was really, really good. Like, really, 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 really We're going good. to see a Christmas day. My okay. mom, my I, I recommend. I, I recommend don't be stingy. Go for the 3D. It is worth it. I don't know. Me and, me and Tara aren't big 3D fans. Um, I guess if it's, like, well done and it's not, like, the ridiculous ones that are just, like, for a shock effect that are just, like, popping out at you and kind of give you a headache... But the subtle ones, like Avatar. You remember when we saw Avatar? Subtle ones? Avatar? So, all right, continue. Well, you know, uh, where, yeah, they're, where they're using the 3D for, like, landscape effects and for, like, uh, depth depth perception as opposed to just, like, a spear sticking into your eyeball. You wait, know wait, what I'm saying? Wait a minute. 3D for... They always use 3D for depth perception. That's what 3D is. Dude, you know what I mean. Don't make me spell it out for you. When, it, when they use it all for I the know, subtle stuff listen, is when I like it. Listen, now we might actually have to get into uh, some of like the past things that have happened between us in some stories. So for Avatar, I had was so excited about it, and I purchased IMAX tickets, like what, like three weeks ahead of times? Yeah. And it was, it was the midnight showing, and I had to wake you up like seven times, and we still were late by like... 10 minutes because and we had to sit in the out of a a theater seating in IMAX of probably like 100 seats we had to sit in the furthest to the front and the furthest to the left because you couldn't wake yourself up at midnight (laughs) oh you used to be the worst I think I I played like an overnight session where I played like 30 hours and then uh, went to sleep at like 4pm and then you tried to wake me up from my slumber and I'm a heavy sleeper and you found that out that day Oh my gosh, you're the worst. That was just that was so bad. We were like, seriously, my we were staring almost straight up at the screen the whole time. Oh my god. <laughs> um, okay, do you want to? 
<laughs> let's segue into, do you want to start uh, on the emails? Yeah, yeah, let's hit an email or two. And then we'll kind of get into uh, bankroll management a little bit. Yeah, start, start us off with the emails. All right, we got one from Rick, Ricky. Uh, he says, Dear Chase and Drew, I wanted to write you guys and say thank you for the entertainment so far with the pod. Uh, Chase, keep it up on the Twitch streets. Good work. And he didn't realize until this last episode with Alex Fitzgerald, so this is actually a little bit older of an email, that you we live on the East Coast. Rick, Ricky says he was in Maryland live for event n- number one of WPT and was actually standing next to me. Could it have been me? Eh, it might have been me. Yeah, very well could have been. I think I played that event. Says he'll be making the trip. He lives in Newport News, Virginia, back to Maryland. Uh, yeah, man, say hi if you see me. That was a bit of an old email. No, still. Weird. Yeah. Still Shout out to Ricky, back. though. Thanks for writing in. Glad you're enjoying the podcast, dude. Uh, we got another one here from Rick. A different Rick, I believe, though. Different email address. Uh, he says, hey, gentlemen, thought I'd shoot you guys an email with some feedback. Stumbled upon this podcast randomly. He says, I played with Chase and have dealt to you and have been dealt to by you. Huh. I worked in Blackhawk for a time as well, and that's where I play mostly in the 3060 game now. Yo, shout out. Shout out to my Blackhawk homies. Yeah, and a limit player. Not a lot of us left. You're a dying breed. You're a dinosaur. Yeah. Anyway, congrats on the bracelet win. I saw you on Twitter and recognized it as a Colorado face. Then saw the podcast and have been looking for a new one for some quality content. To my surprise, I saw the Jesus on the Felt episode, so I figured I'd start there. Also a believer... And so I thought it would be good to check out and see what you guys had to say. Just have to say thanks. I was really blessed by the content and you guys sharing your story and testimony. I haven't seen too much content about the faith about faith in poker, so I believe there to definitely be a need for it and would love to hear more from you guys as well. Other than that, I was wondering about the bankroll management management podcast. Is that up yet or did I miss it? Well, my friend, when you hear this it will be up. For you, Rick. That's why we do this. You're actually a part of it. Um, I think it's cool that you've had so much, I think, positive feedback, both in stream and just we've had a couple of emails, one we're going to get to in a bit about, um, you know, sharing our faith and just it's something that's important to both of us. Uh, do you want to mention kind of what you did? Was that yesterday with the other podcast? Oh, yeah. I went on uh, Thinking Poker podcast. I didn't really. So. <laughs> I, I wrote in a question to Andrew Brokus because I play with Andrew Brokus in the, the local cash games around here. And uh, I've been a longtime listener of Thinking Poker podcast. And I decided to write him a strategy, uh, like hand history, for their strategy segment. And uh, ironically, it was a hand that I played in which Andrew was involved in it. Uh, so I wrote the email, and then he emailed me back. And he said, hey, do you want to come on the podcast and discuss the strategy hand? I was like, cool, man, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'll come on for the little strategy segment, talk for like 10 minutes. And uh, I wasn't really expecting it, but we did a whole uh, we did a whole podcast episode where they like did a little interview and stuff. And they uh, they asked me a lot of questions about my faith. So I got to uh, share that, which I'm like beating myself up over because I was kind of stumbling on my words. But 
you know, I don't know. <laughs> I can't be perfect. So I try to let that go. But it was pretty cool to come and share my faith on their podcast and for them to have me. It was a lot of fun. So that was awesome. Yeah, it's really been a pleasant surprise to me to find out how many people kind of uh, have a similar background to you and I, you know, are both poker players to some degree and also Christians and are looking to try to to find a way to, to reckon both or reconcile both. I think it's been been really interesting because I just I pop in and out of your stream, you know, on Sundays and with the time difference and everything and work, I usually only get a solid 30 minutes to an hour, but it's been cool to see. Yeah, man, I've gotten overwhelmingly positive feedback. I, you know, I get the troll or two, but <laughs> here and there, it's okay. It's worth it. All right, what else do we got in the mailbag? So we got a couple of emails that actually hit on bankroll management pretty good. So they're both from uh, Andrew. Shout out Andrew, a.k.a. Bike King. He's actually in chat right now. Oh, what up, Bike dude? King's here. Okay, cool. Yeah, Bike King um, 19. Yeah, it's pretty cool because we haven't... You know, we actually had uh, a special guest, so we've been meaning to get to this bankroll podcast. We've been plugging it for almost a month and a half, two months. So he gave us two different emails, one early in the month, like literally, I think, December 2nd. And then his situation changed a little bit. But do you want to walk us through the email, Chase? The first. Yeah, one? let me start with the first email. This one's, yeah, from December 2nd. It says, hey, Chase and Drew, absolutely love the pod. As soon as I heard you on Midstakes Living, shout out to Midstakes Living, a.k.a. Killing Bird, a.k.a. The Man and his podcast. And uh, so I heard you on Midstakes Living and how you're an outspoken Christian, uh, starting my Twitch streams with prayer. And I thought that was just super awesome. And not only do you offer a solid strategy, but your stream is very enjoyable. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Uh, Andrew says, I plan ACR as well. Bike King 19. What up, dude? And some small time, small time streaming, although I'm a noob at it. Um, he says he was crushing 25 no limit, as well as some final tabling some tournaments. And this has caused his bankroll to go from his $50 deposit to over $1,200 in under two weeks. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, he says Andrew only started online poker in a serious fashion, buying a HUD, studying a specific online strategy. About a month ago, he enjoys 25 No Limit cash games and doesn't feel the need to move up right now. The highest buy in tournaments he's playing are $11. Um, what's our opinion on buy-ins needed for tournaments, cash games? And he also mentioned sit and goes, but he's not playing them. And honestly, I would kind of phase out of that. So what's our opinion on buy-ins needed for tournaments and cash games? Should he be taking shots? Uh, let's give him some feedback there. What do you got, Drew? Just with the knowledge. Well, I think that that's it's pretty remarkable. Actually, run fifty dollars up into twelve hundred um, in short work. I mean, good job on that. Uh, I agree with Chase. I used to play a lot of sit and goes, a lot of volume. That's kind of what I used to do. But that was back five, six years ago with full tilt and stars, and and I found on ACR sit and goes are pretty frustrating and they're super reggy. Um, and it's kind of hard to actually even get sit and goes going. So, you know, I, I would stay clear of that. Um, I think it's good if you get into some of the, I would say that playing sit and goes just in general, uh, it improved my game as far as final tables, because it shows you, 
I mean, it's essentially going to a final table, you know, with ICM considerations and everything. But if you're doing well in the 25 no limit game, I think that that's a great spot for you to be in. Um, and I think it's interesting because you ended up getting, you end up starting with essentially a bankroll that's like taking shots, right? Uh, $50 is not really adequate, quote, for a bankroll for 50 or for 25 no limit, but you were able to run it up. Um, and Chase and I, when we were younger, something that, that I think we found out more playing live cash, but online as well is depending on your financial situation, when you actually are able to run well for a while and run up your bankroll, you need to really protect it. So I think your your mentality towards this is correct. A lot of people will then take like, oh, okay, well, I had a lot of success. I'm going to move up to the next level. And then they're busting it and they don't realize how many buy-ins at the lower level they just really ran through just because they want to play bigger for a couple sessions. Right. Um, uh, go ahead, Chase. What are your thoughts on, on some of it? Because, I mean, there's quite a few questions and a lot of territory kind of covers because it's, it's cool he's playing both MTTs, some cash. I mean, really exploring poker in a lot of different facets. Yeah. So, Andrew, I think um, a lot of this is going to depend on what you're kind of trying to get out of poker and kind of what, how that fits into your life situation. So um, if you have a solid job and you're playing poker just like as a serious hobby and enjoy it, which I suspect is the case, I mean, you don't go from $50 to $1,200 in two weeks by exercising like strict bankroll management. It sounds like you're kind of just uh, throwing some money on there, taking some shots, trying to play good. And uh, boom, you ran up a little bankroll here. So, um, if you're, if you're okay with being a little loose with this bankroll and knowing that you can replenish your bankroll with some income, say you, uh, you take a few shots and you run your bankroll down and, um, you know, you're not too worried about retaining your bankroll at this point, then I would say that feel free to take some shots at maybe, you know, run a $10 satellite into a hundred dollar buy-in every once in a while and, if they're like on Sunday, Sunday, there's like the $22, 25K guarantee, like hop in that. And maybe even like if you're feeling really good, the $50 and that'll be like your big tournament of the week. Um, in terms of cash games, I think staying at 25 no limit is a great idea. I think in cash games specifically and especially you should move up when you know that you're beating the stakes. So when you have a big sample size. And it's pretty clear that you can look to it and say, I am a X big blinds per 100 winner in this cash game, in this stake. Um, and then you can start taking shots at the bigger stake. And I mean, don't even, you don't even need to fully move up until, um, until you kind of uh, get a decent sample at that larger stake as well. So I try to like sprinkle in some shots at the 50 no limit whenever you're comfortable. Once you show that you're uh decent winner in the 25 no limit game and uh take it kind of slow and steady in the cash games but well, that being nothing, said uh right. that also depends on on your life situation if you want to if you want to fire off and you have disposable income you know that changes things too yeah and another thing that's interesting about playing on acr is i mean really our our options are acr and ignition uh for most of us so with acr you're able to take notes on players um, it's not completely anonymous. So playing on ACR, I'd say play that 25, no limit for a while, like Chase is saying, 
but every once in a while, I mean, you should be taking notes on players. And if you see a really, really good uh, 50-0 game where you've noted that a couple players are action players or just bad or fish are in a lineup, and if your bankroll can withstand it so you're closer to 1,200, you're not on a downer, um, I mean, that's a, that's a good time to take a shot every once in a while. Wouldn't you agree, Chase? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. The good thing is when you're like looking at just moving up one stake, you are going to run into those uh, same players awesome. that are going to go back and forth between stakes. So, yeah, you can identify those guys. That's a great point, Drew. Definitely like do some kind of color coding with notes where I guess it doesn't really color code in the lobby on ACR. But, yeah, make sure you know who the good and bad regs are. And when you see an action player in there, jump in there. It's great advice. Um, uh, the other question he had, uh, if you want to hit on it, was he was asking, what are our ideas on playing time versus study time? Um, and how much time should you be putting into studying? Boy, I think you're much better equipped to handle this question because, I mean, in truth, most of my studying was like going over certain key hands with you, um, you know, and I actually have never devoted myself to studying as much as I should because I've been out of trying to play poker seriously and put in more than a session or two a week for quite a while. Um, so I'm I'm honestly a really, really bad example of this. I mean, most of it I just go through with you uh, when I have a session or two and I have, have some key hands, which is probably completely the incorrect way, which is why I've, I've largely plateaued and have not made <laughs> giant leaps forward in my game. But... Walk us through, since you're someone who, I mean, at the height, Chase, when you were in Colorado and you were playing almost exclusively online, um, what was your typical week like that you felt was a healthy Well, week? let me let me go back even farther to, like, when we were in Seattle and I was just, like, really trying to run up a bankroll and really passionate about poker. I mean, I'm still passionate, but I was, like, just kind of scratching the surface of poker and... Uh, like in a similar situation to Andrew here, um, I would say I was spending a, an absurd amount of time studying. Like I, I remember falling asleep at my desk with my headphones on, listening to and watching a training video and just being asleep in my chair like this, you know, waking up because I fell asleep just watching like next episode, next episode. So I think when you first, um, when you're entering poker, and kind of trying to become a winning player, that studying should be like ratcheted up pretty high. Like probably twenty five, at least twenty five, twenty five percent of your of your time that you put into poker should be studying. Now, once you kind of get established at a, as a winning player, um, I think you can tone that down a little bit and try to get more experience and table time. But I think at all at all times you should be diverting at the bare minimum, like. 10% of your time to study. And uh, I think it would be a good rule of thumb to be closer to 15, 20%. Well, and, and part of that is you have to find uh, stuff that's meaningful, right? Because there's so much information out there now. And right. I, I think a lot of it would be, depending on your level, if you find that a lot of the resources out there are really helpful, yeah, I would say 25% or a high ratio uh, would be really good. Depending, and a lot of it also depends on the structure of your week. Like if you're essentially got a cushy job that you don't have to work part time, and you're playing poker part time, and you have a lot of free time, and you're unencumbered. I think twenty five percent up to maybe like 
thirty to forty percent is good if you're if you're finding like watching people stream is really helpful, you know, stuff that's not as intensive, you know, but I think also like the intensive studying of doing hand history reviews online and stuff is really, really, really helpful because then you're essentially checking how you're playing post session, which is really vital. Yeah. I think when I'm talking about the like 10%, I'm talking like very intentional study time, like uh, watching a training video and then like, reviewing hand histories and running them through uh, some poker software and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's valuable to like watch uh, someone on Twitch or um, talk, talk shop with someone, but I think you need to really be putting in the, the, the hard time, which is where you sit down at your desk and you like go over hands and you crunch numbers and you just kind of get that flex your poker muscle. You know, you can't really do that when you're, say, casually watching a Twitch stream. So do you want to get into I, I'm sorry, I, you mean I lost you for a good two, three minutes. I don't know where where you left off. But do you want to get into Andrew's like next email? Cause it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually exciting, kind of cool. Exactly where I was um, before the, uh, the technical difficulties. The gremlins came back to haunt us again. All right, let's get back to it. So uh, this second email is from Andrew, and it's actually 11 days after his first email. And you'll notice some things have changed. Good morning, Chase and Drew. So I now face an even more important choice than my f- I first thought. I had primarily been playing on ACR for online play. However, I kept hearing how great Ignition was for fish. So yesterday I decided to make a deposit and take a shot in a tournament. I played the 50K guarantee last night, not only was I able to make the final table, I took second for just under 20k. Oh, snap. Sick, man. This yeah, is easily awesome. the largest score of my life, as you might easily guess. I do not know if I mentioned my previous email or not, but I am an avionics technician by trade, had some decent success online lately, and now this. I pondered and prayed with the idea of going pro off and on. However, going deeper research on this mainly recommend a life roll for six months of living in addition to a poker bankroll to play for the stakes you're at first and foremost this this is god's money oh preach it bro i'm just taking care of it right now and what i do should glorify him amen i'm not under the illusion that pro poker players have this life with abundant cash flow traveling the globe and winning the occasional event it's a long hard grind not many people see thousands of hours of studying and review you put in. Um, so he feels he, he has the drive to make this step. He enjoys poker. Um, he's just kind of wondering, like, what does God want for him? And situationally, like, what can we what advice can we give him? Well, and then one other thing that, that I think is key in there uh, is he said he has someone that's interested in staking him. Um, I would honestly say with staking, um, it's, I would say in general, you're not in a position where you need that because depending on the agreement and everything, there's, there's not a lot of reason because now you have a bankroll, uh, and I don't see a real reason that uh, a real way that being staked helps you. I mean, it would get, I guess the only upside to it is it allows you to play, uh, a little bit larger than you're playing now and gives you some experience, which would be good. But overall, you're able to 
I mean, what you've had, you've had an amazing month. My gosh, you've had an amazing two weeks. It sounds like you ran $50 into like 21,000, uh, $21, which is insane. Pretty nice, But I think man. you should, yeah, I think you should just continue uh, the diligent path of just con- now, like you've got a bankroll. If you feel that you're a winner at the next step, start playing 50 no limit. And I don't know how many tables you're playing at once, but if you're like, you know, three to four tabling, you can get a decent sample size over the course of like three to four months if you're doing that, you know, regularly. Now you've certainly got a bankroll that you can take a lot of shots into uh, a really good sweet spot, which is like the around $50 and under MTTs, you know, which can have some pretty good payoffs, like the $22 tournament you ended up getting second in. And you can get a lot of experience that way. And it'll transition to see if you're able to sustain this, which we hope you are over the course of three to six months, and then better evaluate your situation, whether or not this is something you want to take the next step and evaluate becoming a professional, you know? Yeah, great advice. So I would caution you with making any like big life altering decisions when you don't have to. So a lot of people want to make that jump into being a professional poker player when maybe their situation uh, in their situation it might be more prudent and wise to just maybe up the hours that you're playing poker or if possible at your job go to like a more part-time schedule take less shifts but i wouldn't i'd be very hesitant to make that big jump to quit my job and sell my house and let's roll up a stake in Vegas, you know? I don't think you need to go that extreme. I think if you divert more time into playing, and I really, really, really think you need to have a pretty big sample size that proves proves to you, proves to yourself that you're a winning player and that this is not just a couple months of run good. This isn't a 10,000 hand sample size, but that you, you are going to be beating this and beating your stakes for x amount of big blinds and you need to like do some finances make sure that you're making enough money to sustain you your lifestyle your family whatever that may be and then like uh take take a long-term look at it like is playing poker for a living gonna get you your goals in life and uh and be in prayer about it because i mean there's nothing wrong with being a poker pro but it's it's tough man yeah and i I think the outlook is it's going to continue to be Something that's going to be challenging. I mean, Chase and I started at a time that was probably like a no-brainer for someone to leave a job that's under 100K to become a, a pro because even if you're in the top 10, 15% back then, there's so many different venues that you could make a lot of money in. And now I think you're you're in some competitive spheres with a lot of other really, really good players. So, you know, that shouldn't really be a deterrent on itself, but... I think you have to look at your own personal situation. I mean, do you have dependents? You know, like my situation where even if I was having success playing poker, it'd be really hard for me to become a professional right now, I think, because I'm about to get married. So my needs and wants of like getting a home, proving income, all of these things are much different. So I think you also have to take into account where you're at in life. Like, I don't know much about what... uh, what was Chase? What did he, Andrew? What does Andrew do? He's an avionics tech. Avionics technician by trade. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that like works out of a union. And if like, let's say you're, um, 
you know, four years in and the fifth year you get like longshoremen, like you get into the union, you know, you have to weigh all these things. And that's why I think you can speak in vague generalities, um, but I don't think that there's a set path for everyone that's the same in becoming a pro and what makes sense. I mean, if you're living in California, your standard of living and your your base requirements of a bankroll are much different for playing the same game because it's just so darn expensive to live versus if you're like in Akron, Ohio. You know, it's just, I think it's such an apples to oranges comparison. But in general, what I think is instead of um, making a decision based on like a huge, huge score, which is good, you should wait until you really have a rough month, whether that's like a break even month or whether that's like a really, really tough grind. Maybe you win four or five months in a row. So you're establishing with a lot of volume if you're playing like eight to 12 tables. I mean, you're going to get that volume. But after that rough month, make a decision then. Just like, do you want to continue with this? Um, because I know that when you made the decision chase, you'd had some upswings, some some major scores, but you'd also ran that back down and almost nothing many times before. And it was something that you came equipped with the knowledge of how, well, both sides of it, how good poker can be, but also how nasty, sour, terrible it can be for months at end, on end, you know? I, um, I agree. And not only that, but most recently, a year and a half ago, after I decided to get back into playing poker full time, I like moved out here and immediately went on a four month downswing. So, uh, you know, uh, and luckily I came prepared where I was playing mostly like two, five, no limit playing some online. And I went on a 20 K downswing over four months. And here's the thing about when poker is the sole source of your income, my bankroll took a 20 K hit from going on 20 K downswing at the tables then you factor in four months of living expenses, which I don't know about you guys, but my living expenses are pretty significant over four months. So all of a sudden it's like, hmm, now it's more like a 35K downswing out of my bankroll. So you got to realize that, A, you're not going to have any other source of income. Your income is poker. And when you go on a downswing, you go on a downswing, plus your expenses still come out. When you go on an upswing, that's great, but... Coming out of that upswing is your living expenses, your uh, the cost of your life roll. I mean, so I think one thing that you're you need to be very conscious of is that all of your bills are coming out of your poker bankroll. Like you should, in some ways, separate your living expenses and your poker bankroll. I think you mentioned keeping six months living expenses on the side. I think that's a great idea. Put six months living expenses in a bank account, and every month replenish it with one more month of living expenses. I think that is a great idea and a great thing to do. Um, thing is though, every month there's, you know, X amount of whatever your nut is that's coming out of your poker bankroll. So, I mean, at well, the stakes that you're playing, it's going to be depending on the volume that you're putting in. I mean, that might be hard to, uh, stay above water, especially on a downswing. And life has a nasty way of surprising us with like needing a new set of tires and just random trips to the dentist and, you know, all these things that can creep up on you. So I would just say I think six months is good uh, as a as a base point. Um, and I think you're off to a really, really good start, Andrew. I mean, that's I mean, you're obviously having a lot of success, but I think the other thing is psychologically um, 
you know, I talk to a lot of pros and I see at Commerce, I see some pros go bust and just really not make it. And they're playing, you know, the 10, 20 blind and some step down, some of them quit, some go back to working and some are super, super successful. So, but the one thing I think that you have to know is your own mental and emotional makeup. You have to pretty good read on yourself. Because Chase and I, we were talking about this the other day. Some people play really, really well on their last dime. Some people don't, you know, and it's hard to predict. It's impossible when you're going to have a downswing, how nasty it can be. And I've had some friends, we've had some mutual friends, Chase, that when they're winning, they play like world beaters. And when they start to lose, they just emotionally, mentally can't handle it. And then the extra pressure and stress of all of your money coming out of your poker bankroll um, it's just a really loaded situation for some of them. And that's true for some of the pros too, even. I, I, I see it all the time. It's, uh, you know, you have to have a good feel for yourself too. Yeah, I think it's more prevalent than most people give it credit for. And uh, couldn't agree more. Um, Andrew, I think one one more thing on that is you're talking about your job and how it's easy to find a job. I mean, and depending on like your family situation, um, if you're maybe able to get a job back pretty easily, maybe pulling the trigger is less of a high risk situation. So I don't know, man, a lot to consider be in prayer, like definitely, uh, seek, seek some wisdom. Um, ask God like what he would have for you. And, uh, man, there's no clear cut answer like anything in life. So, be in prayer about it for sure. Yeah, and I think you should not only just be in prayer. I mean, that's the first thing that we would recommend. But um, for me, I wonder what your motivation is. Is it something that you just you truly love the game um, and it's something that you want to find a, a way to spend more time? Because when it comes to quitting your job, most people that I've seen that have done it well is they quit their jobs because they're making so much more money online or playing cash than their job was like their job they're making like 15 to 20 bucks an hour and then back when the games were really good they're making hourlies that were just insane so they're like this just doesn't make any sense um i think that a lot of people that can find that balance between work and still playing a healthy amount a week i think that's really preferable for most people but if you're one of those that you feel that your work is distracting for the amount of time you want to play and learn that's different but if you're still at like a $20 buy-in MTT um, is kind of like a stretch or a shot or was a month ago. And if you're playing like 25 no limit and 50 no limit, like Chase said, I think, I mean, you are playing a lot of volume. You said eight to 12 tables. So I guess that's a little different, but that's still a level that I would think you could maybe multitask your job and play. Unless, because you're not at a point where you're probably making so much more money hourly than your work. And I know I'm assuming a lot in, in that, but that's just, you know, just what I've seen is that usually people take that step, I think, in a healthy way when they're at that break point where they're making a lot more money playing than they, than they are working. So it just, it naturally lends itself to, well, why am I working? You know, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Chase? Yeah, I agree. I think that's a very natural step. Um, there's certainly something to be said for doing what you enjoy and loving what you do. Um, but I, I do agree that that very practical sense of, well, I'm making 
more than I was at my previous job. I'm enjoying my job. I'm, uh, I'm going into this knowing the risks, knowing the downsides, and but the the benefit of it is tangible. It's right here. It's in my grasp, and that's got to be a long term thing. Again, that can't be you're having a good two months. So. Um, I would encourage you to keep keep grinding, maybe up up your volume a little bit, if possible. Go maybe one day less a week at work if that's realistic. But yeah, man, uh, keep us updated though. Write in, let us know how it's going. Um, let's get to something in the stream chase. Did you see McLovin's question? I did. What uh-huh. up, McLovin? Couple shoutouts, Llama Spitz, man, Llama Spitz, regular viewer. This guy has been going on some runs lately, and oh, nice. uh, Psycho Chaos. What up, man? Pyro chaos, uh, sorry, psycho chaos. <laughs> so McLovin asks, uh, why do you think that a lot of people, the term pro, specifically MTT players, instantly look for a stable to stake them? Do you feel that is dumb in the event you have a big score? Uh, let me clear my throat. Hold on. <laughs> All right, sorry. Why do you think? Let me read the question. I mean, I'm on record as not understanding that because when you when you have a big score and you have an influx in your bankroll, I mean, I, I think any time you can be putting yourself in, you should. The only the only spots where I've seen um, that being staked is is super advantageous is if you are banking off some like local five to ten k tournaments and someone notices you and they're like, "I'm going to put you in the main event." You know, I mean. Th- there's so much overlay and there's so much value in that and it's something that you're still not able to attain on your own but if you're like winning five to seven k or you know doing well in like mid stakes or low mid stakes mtt stuff like twenty dollar stuff to be put into like the sunday 109s and stuff i mean that's something you can be satelliting yourself into you know i just don't i don't see a lot of value there i think that people like the idea of, oh, okay, well, maybe I've won forty, fifty thousand. I want to preserve this money, and I still want to take shots. So now I'm going to get this staking agreement. But I, I've seen, I mean, you got to think about logistically. Most staking agreements, unless the person is an idiot and you're abusing them, they've got to be two way advantageous. So I mean, the staker is certainly, if not getting the best of it, they're getting a fifty percent share. So it's, I just don't see a huge value if. You're in a situation where you've been running good and you're you're binking stuff. I mean, maybe if you're on a downer and you, you don't want to step down, you know, maybe there's value there. But I just don't see it. I've always been on the side of don't get staked unless you absolutely have to. And usually the course that I see is that someone binks a tournament and then they or they have an unrealistic expectation of what their income is going to be. And they're like jet setting around trying to play all these live tournaments that are maybe outside their bankroll. They're thinking that the money's just going to keep on coming and they go on a downswing, whatever it may be. And they go from like a booming bankroll from a tournament win or something like that. And then it kind of like slowly or quickly in some cases collapses on itself. And uh, all of a sudden they don't have much of a bankroll, but they have pretty good results and they look to people to find a stake. Now, if you don't have any other options uh, and you can't get a reasonable job, I mean, that makes sense for some people. Um, I think it's... I think the problem is it's so hard to get out of it. Like, 
staking is this thing where you're kind of trapped into it because you have a big win, cool, someone takes a large chunk of it. You're on a downswing, and then you have a win, it's like, oh, that's all going to makeup. So I think I think staying away from staking whenever possible is preferable. And even if that means playing dropping down, playing lower stakes. So say you play tournaments that are a quarter of your normal buy-in because you're on a downswing or whatever. Well, I mean, that's not the worst thing because if you were getting staked, automatically your staker is taking half of it, right? Or 60% of it or 70% of it in some cases. So when you, when the prospect of playing a fourth or a third of the, your, your previous buy-ins comes up, well, it's like, well, if you take a stake, you're essentially doing that anyway. And here, if you're just playing smaller, you're going to keep all of your action. And I, I just think you're going to be in a better frame of mind, too. Yeah, I mean, the only type of... And I know when you say stable, you're, you're talking primarily online. I mean, the, the only type of staking that I think makes sense is when you're able to do it on your own terms. So when you're able to, to put up, like, when Chase will travel and back before you were at a point where your bankroll could withstand the full World Series, you would put up a package on some of the different online places and sell off action, which I understand is a little bit different than, than probably the situation you're envisioning. But I would say selling off some of your action, um, if you're going to be, let's say the online Super Series comes around and you want to play a lot of the larger tournaments and you're just like, man, I just can't commit 7,000 or, or whatever for the package. You know, if you're a bona fide winner and you've got the results to prove it, you know, there are venues online you should be able to sell off some or enough action to be able to put yourself into a lot of the, the games you want to play. And I think that's how I'd prefer to do it. The only other time I think staking is good um, in general is beneficial staking with a friend. Like I know where you know where they're at. I mean, I see a lot of this at Commerce where like there's a guy who... Um, well, a buddy from Seattle, Tommy Hang. He's a bracelet winner. He's probably one of the best limit hold'em players in the world. Um, plays like used to play like in Seattle, three hundred, five hundred, because we have a five hundred dollar cap. He used to do things like against the live ones. He would like give them the the button the whole time and just destroy them. He's just an extremely good limit hold'em player who crossed over into mixed games, and he had a, a really good childhood friend who was kind of at a different point in life. Who he ended up teaching how to play these mixed games of like. Badoogie, Badesi, Raz2C, no qualifier, a bunch of stuff that you just don't even see online or played anymore. Um, and he worked out an agreement with his buddy because um, Tommy knew how to game, game select because he knows the lineups. And, uh, you know, he ended up helping his buddy out and get him to a point where now his buddy's like a winning 200, 400 above combo player. So, uh, you know, I know, Chase, you put me in some stuff like the 30-60 game back at Ameristar. Um I'm pretty sure we're still. I'm still positive on your stake. I mean, I we ran up at thirty sixty, and then we ran up at. Uh, I, oh, I dude, think like, like a, I run good on third. stakes, man. Yeah, I put yeah. you in that thirty sixty game where I think you won like three thousand. Yeah, and you were on like a total free roll. High point. Yeah. yeah, you were on total free roll. I think I gave you like twelve hundred of it or something. Yeah, and then. Um, Oh my gosh, yeah. So I put you at the World Series one year. I put Andrew in what I call the Wives and Girlfriends tournament, which was that. What, what's the buy in on that thing? Like 200. Uh, 265 or something, right? I, oh, I, it's meant to emulate the old. Two, 235. Uh, deep stacks. 235, 235 buy in. Okay. Daily deep stack started at 2 p.m., I think. Uh, Andrew was in town. I was playing some series events, and uh, he was kind of hanging out around town. 
And I said, you know what, dude, go fire in that 235. And uh, I gave him a couple bolts worth of buy-ins. And I said, you know, like, I think I, gave, I said 20% free roll for you. I know you're like a winner in that lineup. So I gave him the 20% free roll and you got like third. And honestly, yeah, third. it felt like you should have shipped it. Oh, like, it's so gross. I got Jax in against, I still remember, I got like Jax versus Ace-5 against the number two in chips. And he took like, and he like took 60% of my stack. And I lost two flips and I was out. Uh, yeah, that was so pretty gross. Felt, felt so bad. But um, yeah, you know, I've just been in a position where I haven't managed my personal money well enough. Like in the run, when I've run good, I'm the person that's like, has not respected his bankroll because I've always usually had some sort of working money or working job um, that supplemented it. But, uh, and now I'm at like a different stage in my life. So I think that there's so much value to, even if you do work, I would say this with bankroll, is separating some of your money. So like, let's say you're working and you're making X amount in a paycheck and then you like, you know, just you have a 3K weekend. For me, like a lot of times that money would go back to like, oh, okay, well, I was gonna get new rims and tires for my car. And I would pull out like 2K online and leave myself like a little bit short. I think it's, I think even for people that work, it's good to run your money separately and your finances separately to say, like even like if you were going to day trade in stocks, you wouldn't want to use your like food and gas money to, you know, to, to do that. I mean, you'd want to separate out and say, okay, here's my nut. I make like $6,000 a month, 4,000 of it goes to bills, 3,000 of it goes to bills, you know, going to movies, going out, doing different stuff, doing my hobbies, golfing. I'm going to allot this much money and, you know, $1,000 a month, I'm going to put into poker, you know? I'm going to go play live. I'm going to play online if I need to reload some money. And then when you run good, I think you should similarly cordon that, mo- cordon that money off and like put it in a separate account, at least either keep it online. Um, I've had a lot of problems with mixing the money. It's never been a good situation for me. I found that whenever you mix money, you're never going to run up a bankroll. Uh, and never is a big statement, but... Anytime you're trying to run up a bankroll and you have things depleting your bankroll outside of poker, it's really tough. Because A, you're trying to become a winning player, and then you're like automatically handicapping yourself with... Um, it's like you have a massive leak where you just like... Every third time you get 7-deuce offsuit, you have to see a flop or something. I mean, it's just... Yeah, so uh, I agree. Keeping life money and uh, bankroll money separate is ooh, definitely a good idea for running up a bankroll. Uh, let's hit on one more question and then wrap it up. Uh, Pyro Chaos uh, hitting the taxes here. Do some pros get into trouble with taxes? I mean, it's tempting to take all cash and using that as your bankroll where you're going to owe 40%. I could see that being tempting to some people. Um, I'll, I'll tell you from my perspective uh, I'll answer that a little bit, and then Chase, since you actually deal with it on a more personal level, you taught you, uh, you know, fill in the blanks. So when when you're operating in primarily cash, like a lot of like the big pros at Commerce, um, you're fine until you want to make a big purchase. I mean, let's say you're blessed enough in the next five, ten years that you're able to become in the top 0.1 percent and able to get like. A box like Chase has a box at Maryland Live. You're able to get like hundred, two hundred thousand, or above. Like some of the guys at Commerce have millions of dollars in chips and boxes. The issue is that's not claimed income, 
And I think even legally, if the IRS was sitting here and I was like naming people and they were going through it, they can make a legitimate case for it not being income because they may win a hundred thousand today in a big PLO and they may lose fifty thousand tomorrow. So just because they won a hundred thousand on Friday doesn't mean that's a hundred thousand dollars in taxable income. So they have to look at it like on an annual period or they have to have certain time periods that they take a look at this stuff in. The big issue that pros that play at Chase's level and even like a mid stakes, a couple steps below run into is when you want to make big purchases, the question becomes where did the money come from? And you have to have that um, as post-tax money. So if you if you were doing really well and you had like 75K and you want to buy a $12,000 used car in cash and 75K was primarily in chips, just floating around or online or a mixture of the two, you're going to have to claim it as income, which is going to be taxed before you can just immediately use that 12K to buy in. So, or 12K to buy a car or big ticket item. So for the most part, when you're operating outside of big ticket items like food, other stuff, you're fine. I mean, up until maybe you're facing an IRS audit, like let's say you are making good income. Let's say you're making 150,000, you're playing poker and you live a pretty extravagant lifestyle. You're like buying, going out to nice dinners with friends or your girlfriend or what, what have you. And over the course of the year, the IRS audits you and you claim little to nothing. And then you show $20,000 in receipts on a credit card that you've been paying off in cash or Western unioning for like, you know, food expenses alone. That's not gonna make sense. But as long as you keep pretty good records of it and for big ticket items, such as like if you're going towards buying a house or something like that, you're proving your income, um, you're not gonna be in trouble. And then there's people that specialize in this type of uh, like tax accountants. There's even lawyers if you get to like, if you're lucky enough to go and like you bank the main event. I mean, obviously in that spot you get one of the world's best like gambling tax accountants or a lawyer who's similarly versed in tax and you're okay. But I mean, the, the mid state, low mid stakes to low stakes. I mean, I think you're, you're okay. At least what I've run into, as long as you're not trying to take big wins and convert that into purchasing large ticket items. Chase, you want to tell us what you've experienced this year? Uh, sure. So first of all, I will disagree about that. If you have 100K in your box, it's debatably not income. It is income. And if you get audited, it's 100% income. And pay your taxes. Because if you play chicken with the IRS, like you might just crash and die. <laughs> I see some of these guys that they'll have like a big tournament score even, which like the paperwork is going to the IRS. It's not even a cash game, you know? They're just like shipping paperwork to the IRS and they just play chicken with the IRS, like hoping they don't get audited for six years until it falls off and it's just a terrible idea i can why put why put your future bankroll in jeopardy over it so yeah i would say i would say setting aside um like at least mentally to know what your bankroll size is say you started the year with a hundred thousand dollar bankroll and you're up hundred fifty thousand. well okay so you have two hundred fifty thousand, but well, let's see. Living expenses have come out of that, so now you have two hundred twenty thousand. But uh, so you're up one hundred fifty k on the year. Well, let's say you got to set aside a third of that for taxes, so you're only up one hundred k on the year. Uh, so you set you set aside fifty k for taxes. So all of a sudden you're at I'm not good at math. What are we at? Two hundred 
You're up 50, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. yeah, realistically, you have a 150k bankroll that you're working with, although it's going to look inflated. So, I mean, you just need to be good at keeping books and knowing how much of your liquid cash is going to be available to you at the start of the next year after the tax calendar year. And yeah, but I mean, like, I, I work in the compliance for for commerce. I can tell you with an absolute fact, Chase, that the chips issue only becomes an issue when you have to convert it back into cash. It cannot be claimed as income until you get to the point you're trying to take it liquid. Because if you take a big swing, if you like, so if Thursday you claim it as income for 100K and then you lose it Friday, the IRS cannot, you always deduct your losses against your wins, but it has to be provable. So you can't win $2 million in an event and then just tell the IRS on a ledger you lost it and not pay taxes on it because they're not going to buy that. However, with cash games, it's a little bit different where you should be claiming what's in your box, certainly, to avoid any like huge legal messes. But until like if you, it's fine if you like March run it up to 200 and then at the end of the year you're down to like 70. You you only have to claim that 70 in income. Yeah, I understand. I think the the issue that I was bringing up was when you hit that rollover, uh, when it hits January 1st and you have 200K in your box, that 200K is income or whatever of that you're up. That absolutely is income, whether you take it out then or take it out later. Um, once the tax year is over, that is income. Yeah, by by the strictest definition of law and the right way to do it, yes, you're absolutely correct. Now, but, but, how, whether the IRS is going to be able to prove that is debatable, but... Right. And okay. So what you're saying is absolutely correct. However, what most pros do at that level is because until they want to convert that those chips into cash, uh, they obviously won't claim. Right. So the right the right way to do it is claim it, which is why like Bellagio, Commerce, a lot of the big places, if there's player to player transactions for like 5K chips and more, we track that and we give that information to the IRS because like, let's say you're leaving the game and there's cash played on the rail and you want to just sell off chips and convert it into cash, we're really stingy about that because for obvious reasons, because we don't like players selling chips for cash um, right. because then they can skirt the, the IRS and then we get in trouble for compliance. But but in general, it is the, the, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is just keep copious records because in the instance that you do face like the nightmare situation of our IRS audit as a poker pro, you want to be on the legitimate side of things and you want to be clean because remember one thing with the IRS, you have to prove you're innocent. <laughs> you know, if you yeah, are stuck crazy. with money, like even 3000, they're going to be like, where did that come from? You know, it's, it's your proving your innocence. And if you have some story that's even legitimate, you're like, Hey, you know, my, my buddy grandma gave, it, gave me $2,000 cash. Yeah. Right. If you're a poker player for, if you're putting that on your taxes and you're claiming that as income, I mean, and then you, you're stuck with this 2000 for whatever you're like holding money for some weird prop bet, you know, that you and a couple buddies made any of that type of stuff. Like it looks incriminating and the IRS is going to stick you with that and they assess penalties and whatever else they can imagine, unless you can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, reasonable doubt that that's not your, you know, money or, or whatever the situation might be. Uh, moral of the story, pay your taxes. I guess our takeaway. 
yeah, be clean about it. Um, sh should we share? I, I think because people were asking for it last time, we should share one personal story. Chase, do you want do you want to tell them about Baby Alien? No. Yeah. No. Are you taking that to Are you taking that to the grave? Yep. Are you waiting until you get like? Uh, I'll wait until you have like two hundred people live on stream, and if we get to two hundred people <laughs> live on stream, then then I'll, then I'll go into. Uh, you don't, I've, you don't I've got tell I've them? got a story though. So. Me oh and Andrew. Gosh, you don't want to do Baby Alien? Not Baby Alien. But this okay. is when we were roommates. So we're roommates, and we we are like pizza fiends. Me and Andrew, pizza is oh, our, like, the way to our heart is through pizza. So we had pizza around the house all the time. We love pizza, especially this guy. Love me some pizza. And, you know, we're like bachelors. We never have food in the fridge. And, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I go down and get coffee, get some breakfast. And I open the fridge and there's like two pieces of pizza okay, left. So, no, there wasn't two. There was like eight out of no, out of ten no, slices. No, no. All right, oh, let me finish God. the story. You can come in with yours later. There's two pieces of pizza left. And I'm like, you know what? There might have only been one piece of pizza left. Stop. I, uh, oh I, I helped myself to some pizza that was not mine. I, I'm clear about that. And I take a marker and I write on the box, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I put the box back in the fridge. <laughs> and later in the day, Andrew comes up to me. He's like, you, f I'm not going to say that word. It's a bad word. You ate my pizza. And I'm like, dude, calm down. And he was like heated, man. It's like, I got up and I wanted to go get some pizza and there's none left. And it says nom, nom, nom on it. And there's nothing eating out. And he was so heated oh, about no. it. I'm like, dude, there's like one piece you. of pizza left. And so, it turns out, it turns out our other roommate had eaten like the other five pieces of your pizza and left one in there. And I ate the last one, and you thought I ate all six of them. But he was skinny. We, of course, but I mean, you wrote. Oh, you're going to make it because I'm a fat guy, huh? No, you were just a little bit poorly at that time. But uh, <laughs> that was the worst. You left only the crusts. Like, oh, oh even better. Breakfast. Yeah, you, you're such. Uh, that was the worst morning ever. We, we almost weren't friends anymore for a good Oh, you were pissed. You were pissed for like a day or two. Uh, yeah, I mean, at 10 a.m., 10.30, there's no Domino's pizza isn't open at that time, and we were going to play online. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely telling Baby Alien sometime in the near future. No, it's you're coming, not. Chase. No, you're not. Oh, gosh. I'll just we kick should, you out of Zencastry. We should put a collection together to see how bad that... Because Baby Alien's the most embarrassing story that an adult <laughs> man has. An adult, adult male living with higher than a 70 IQ has ever produced. It's... Uh, it's pretty bad. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week. You know, a lot of the questions we didn't get to in in stream and in chat, you guys should email to us because we're going to try to always, uh, if we don't have, like, amazing guests and, you know, when it's just Chase and I, we'll definitely, like we've always committed, make it your podcast and uh, we'll go through the material you want us to go through. Even suggestions for upcoming, like, topics and stuff. We're happy to to take some suggestions as well. So, Great idea. We don't know what, what topic we're going to hit on next. Uh, bankroll management was on the docket. We knocked that out. So what do you guys want? It's a people's podcast. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Let's wrap it up. Uh, shout out to everyone in chat. McLovin. Rev it up. I see you out there. Bike King. Uh, who else we got in here? We had a bunch of guys in here earlier. RB, my, my moderator. Digital Pimp. What up? What up? So thank you guys for hanging. 
have a happy, safe, fun holidays. Um, yeah, I mean, the only, I guess I do remember a holiday tradition my family had is we always would watch that stupid Christmas story movie like 20 times because my parents would never buy like cable. <laughs> we would have the basic cable package, so we'd have to see the Red Rider BB gun and uh, like 20 times. It was bad. Is that the one with the leg lamp? Yeah, the lake oh, lamp, dude! So I've right? actually been to that. I've been to that house. They made it like a tourist attraction in Cleveland, <laughs> and they have I mean, the, they have no, the lake lamp in the window and everything. You can take a tour of it. No offense to anyone in Cleveland, but of course that would be uh, right. That's like some big news around the city. <laughs> like, of course that would be the tourist attraction of Cleveland. Sorry, Cleveland. Um, all right. Well, let's. Uh, wrap for now and thanks everyone for tuning in listening and giving us some interaction and we'll be back in 2017 i guess yes sir merry christmas hit us up on the email top two shoot what was our email oh my gosh this is so bad oh, oh chase oh don't make me look like a fool top two podcast at gmail.com pretty sure it's right <laughs> oh drop the ball at the end of the pod love you guys merry christmas happy holidays See you next yep, time. Go see, go see Rogue One. Very good. All right. You heard it here. Later, guys. All right. All right. Bye.